0: Canon Films, the home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment.
1: Hi, I'm Austin Trek, author of the Canon Film Guide, and you're listening to "Play That Rock and Roll" with Joe K.
0: We're Canon Films, and we're dynamite.
2: This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll, Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Joseph K. and like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Hey, guess what? It's not just me again today. We have another guest. Yes, uh, Play That Rock and Roll is proud to present our second ever guest. His name is Austin Trunick, and he is the author of The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, 1980 to 1984. This is a new book. It was just released in June of this year. Volume two is slated for release in fall 2021, and volume three scheduled to come out some point after that. Uh, For those who are familiar with this book and may have a copy already, I would point you over to Austin's Twitter page, to see about getting a signed book plate. Uh, He's giving those out for free to anybody who's bought a copy of the book. Uh, I believe he had planned to do signings uh, on a book tour this year, but obviously with uh, COVID-19, those plans, I guess, went out the window. So in place of getting your book signed, you can reach out to him and he'll send you uh, a free book plate sticker you can uh, put in the cover of your book Uh, got mine right here looks great very cool thing he's doing so while he's doing that you should absolutely reach out to him and get yours so for those who aren't familiar the Canon film guide volume 1 is the first in a series of three volumes uh, of books that are going to be about the movies released by Canon films during the years Canon was owned by Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus If you're not familiar with Canon Films, uh, the best way I can describe it is they're the film company behind all the Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris movies that filled the shelves of every video rental store in the 1980s and 90s. Canon was an incredibly prolific film production company in the 80s and early 90s, and They didn't produce many films that were hits theatrically, but they did produce many films that found cult status and fandoms uh, after the release in video rental stores in the age of home video and cassettes. I absolutely love this book because I absolutely love talking about canon films. To me, the story of canon is an incredibly interesting topic, and I could talk for hours and hours about it. And that's because I've been a canon fan for just about as long as I've been a fan of movies. Frankly, when I think of my, my book collection, this is probably my favorite book on the subject of film itself. So I, I can't recommend it enough. If you're a fan of 80s action movies, guys like Chuck Norris, Charles Bronson, Michael Dudikoff, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Sylvester Stallone did a couple of canon movies. This is such a great book to check out because the personalities behind the scenes are every bit as interesting as some of the on-screen characters. That said, the subject of this book makes Austin, sort of an unconventional guest for uh, a show primarily about classic rock which is what this show is but this is really just a good opportunity for me to say that I do plan on having guests on in the future that aren't going to have strong connections to the subject of classic rock so the interview portion of this show is going to be a little bit more big tent now the reason I wanted Austin to be a guest on this show is because that I believe that there is a probably quite a bit of crossover between people who are fans of the movies he's writing about and people who are fans of the music I like to talk about. (laughs) I'm guessing people who like canon films and the movies of that era are also classic rock fans and classic rock fans who may not be familiar with canon films might find some really interesting stuff that they can get into here as well. So I think that it's a a good topic to cover. And of course, it did give us a good opportunity to talk about something that is a big deal in classic rock history, and that's film soundtracks. Canon Films has had a number of movies that have had big name soundtracks with classic rock artists, and we do talk a little bit about that in this interview. What you're going to hear about in this interview, because like my first interview, um, this is a two-parter. In part one, we introduce the topic of Canon films, and we also talk about Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, who were the men behind the company. We talk about some of the movies that were released from Canon before Golan and Globus took over. We then move on to talk about Cannon's long-standing relationship with actor Charles Bronson. We talk about their most famous uh, teen sex comedy, The Last American Virgin, and how that film is actually a little more interesting than you might think, and more. And hey, this is just part one. We got even more good stuff coming up in part two. Again, hopefully out next week. So if you want to learn more about the book, or, if you want to order the book, you can find information about it on Austin's website, which is canonfilmguide.com. You can also find Austin on social media at Canon Film Guide on Twitter and Canon Film Guide on Facebook as well. And finally, just a warning about the audio it's a little wonky because we had to use a different source for my audio versus what I recorded. From Austin on my webcam we both sound fine it's just a noticeable fluctuation in the source of the sound for both of them shouldn't be a big deal I probably notice it more than most people but just a heads-up about that it's an issue I'm working on and hopefully I'll have uh, fixed before I have anyone else on the show and with that I just want to say uh, thank you again to Austin for coming on the show it was a great conversation it was great to meet him really nice guy and I, I hope you enjoy our conversation. So let's take a listen to that. Thanks for tuning in. I am such a huge Canon Films fan, and I appreciate you taking a chance on like a music-based podcast. Uh... I just sort of felt like there's gotta be a big overlap between fans of Canon films and like fans of ACDC, you know?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I I imagine you're right there.
2: We're talking about Canon films today. Can you give uh, a brief introduction to to those who might not have any idea what we're talking about? What is Canon Films and why is their story so awesome that it requires a three-volume compendium uh, to tell it in properly.
1: Yeah, Canon Films, specifically the Canon that I am writing about in these books, was in the 80s the company that really came up out of nowhere, this independent company, and was almost able to challenge the major studios. And they really did it by playing by their own roles, doing things there, doing things their own way, um, jumping on trends, um, setting, blazing new trails as far as especially like video distribution deals. Um, the company was headed by two guys, knock and go Globus. They were cousins uh, about a decade apart in age. Um, Menachem was the older one. He was the creative creative guy. He was the one who would come up with the ideas. He'd find the stars. He'd chase them down. He'd be the one making deals on napkins. Um, grabbing just coming up with just a title and having them make a movie out of it. Uh, Yoram was his quiet cousins, a guy who doesn't really didn't do a ton of interviews. It's tough to find uh, footage of like, and just him talking back then because he let Menachem be the spokesperson and their, 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 their face. But he was a financial genius um, for many years, as far as being able to sell movies abroad before the movies were made. And meaning that a movie would automatically be a profit. They would, they would already made the money on the movie before they even made it. And that was Canon's uh, business. They would make low budget movies, sell the video rights for a bunch of money, sell, sell it in every country around the world. And it would play in a few theaters in the U.S. usually and go straight to video here. And but they made money and they that was the empire that they built. Later on, they started making bigger movies, more expensive movies. They wanted to be a an actual major of studio and that strategy no longer works when um, it became a problem and that's what led to the company's downfall. But in from 1980 to 1994, which is what the three books will cover, Canon produced over t- 200 films and distributed hundreds and hundreds more. And they were really in any genre you can imagine from martial arts to musicals, to horror movies, to science fiction. And they were all over the video, video shelves. And these were movies that were usually, I mean, usually very, some of them were pretty darn crazy. And I think that's what people right
2: So, Menachem passed away a number of years ago, but Yoram is still alive. Um, in the, in, in, when you started this project, did you ever hope to actually talk to Yoram? And have you had a chance?
1: I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. I've, I've sent the messages. I've had not had the luck yet. I would love to someday. Even if, it's, even if the first two books get out there, and I can even find him by the time to talk to him for the third one. But I've tried representatives. He's actually got a new a new film venture that he just launched a few years back where yeah. he's trying to turn YouTube stars into movie stars. They haven't haven't really done much, but I tried when that was announced, I tried getting a hold of him. Oh I really, really hope to someday. That would be the most amazing thing <laughs> result <laughs> I could I can imagine. I would just love to pick his brain. Because so little he did so yeah. a few interviews back in the day, and there are just so many questions I have for him. So fingers right. crossed on time. I've I've been trying really hard though. I've been hanging <laughs> well, out. Sending emails. Yeah. Thanks.
2: I, I hope so, man.
1: I, I think I saw
2: one interview with him recently, and it really was. It was like more with his son, and his son was doing all the talking. So maybe I, I in the back of my mind I wonder. If he's worried about doing an interview and, like, accidentally admitting to, like, a whole bunch of, like, financial crimes or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure there are a few that are buried in there.
2: Yeah. Because of, like, the fandom of cult films, podcasts, YouTube shows, there was that documentary in 2014, Electric Boogaloo. People were have been talking about canon, I think, more now than maybe... Since their heyday, what what were the things that um, made you really want to write this book? Did this book uh, originate, like, did the idea for this book originate in the last ten years, or was this something you've been holding on, you know, for as long as you've been a fan?
1: Well, the the idea came around. I've been writing about movies for various outlets online for more than a decade now but I wanted a project I could write on my own. And so that was something I wanted to sort of think, I was thinking about in my head for a long time. I, in, my, in my work, I get sent a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs and things like that to review. And a lot of the canon movies started being put out again on Blu-ray. And so I would listen to the commentaries and these were all movies I grew up on. These were movies I'd rented as a teenager, seen as a kid, We'd watch, I'd watch with my buddies in their basement. And it was amazing to revisit them. And then I'd hear the stories. You have people like Sam Furstenberg or James Bruner talking on these commentaries. And it's just the stories you hear are crazy. And so that, that, that was when I started really with the idea to like to start writing. I didn't know it was gonna be a book. I, I thought I was gonna write articles about the making of different canon movies and as i did that i wrote several of them it grew i wanted to write about more then it became a book that was going to be maybe my 30 favorite canon movies oh, okay and i read and it grew and it grew and it grew and it became what it is this massive probably 2000 page <laughs> set of three books uh covering hundreds of films and like you mentioned there was the attention the the electric boogaloo the um golden globus did their own documentary right before Menachem passed away um the go-go boys and these were wonderful because they proved to me that there was still an audience (laughs) i wasn't the only one who was out there so i feel like 10 years ago you really had to search in different forums longer than that to find other people who love it now there's an amazing facebook group that's all just canon fans there are yeah just the, these great documentaries and then more and more of the movies being reissued on blu-ray oh so, yeah yeah you know what i was just looking
2: at uh buying the the new death wish 3 blu-ray that's on the mm-hmm. that looks pretty fancy
1: yeah yeah it's 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 really well done the that movie that's a movie that looks super grimy and i'm used to it looking just just like it's like it's sticky on the camera or something yeah. the winner and it's just that that's just the terrible transfers i've been watching my whole life i thought it was meant to look like that but oh but no they have a new they have a new 2k scan on the blu-ray and it is it's beautiful it's amazing
2: yeah. <laughs> i didn't know a canon
1: movie could look that good right
2: <laughs> you know i think the best part of uh, electric boogaloo is like the end um card where it says true to form uh, Golan and Globus put their own documentary out three months before this one, or something. Mm-hmm. I watched a little bit of Go Go Boys. Uh, what did you What did you think of their take on their
1: own history? It's definitely the uh, how do I phrase it? They they're very they're very polite about themselves. They're not. It, it's it's definitely an authorized documentary where. They, I wish they, it could have dug more, but it's worth seeing. And it is great to see, especially Yoram on there. That's one of the few places you can see him reflecting on these years. Yeah. And Menachem is in, in, is in there, and it's great. There's a fantastic documentary, another one that's free on YouTube that was put out in 2015 called Goodbye, Mr. Cinema. Oh. And it's a filmmaker following around Menachem Golan around his home basically in the last months of his life. And that's the sort of documentary I wish we would have gotten with both of them about Canon. And um, just because it is a little more, it's a little less polished and these guys are reflecting and it's not the most, it's not the most positive uh, view of these guys. It's more honest, I think. They're on, he's he's honest about his own legacy, and it's.
2: have to check that one out because that, as I, I sort of agree with you, like the the you know authorized history is always a little whitewashed. Um, when you were putting this book together, I guess besides the the documentaries that have been made about him, what other resources uh, did you pull from for maybe? It doesn't even have to be canon related, but. The, um, other books on film, or I'm sure you read Paul Talbot's books, you know, what, 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 what works, uh, helped guide, guide you in your process?
1: Well, Paul, I mean, Paul Talbot, I I say in the, in the canon film guide, that if you're interested in Death Wish or any of the Bronson canon movies, any Bronson movie period, you need to seek out those books because it, it made my, it made my job easy because I, Somebody's already written the definitive work on work on Charles Bronson's uh, filmography, but yeah, Paul Paul Talbot's books. Any canon fan needs to needs to grab both of those. After that, there's a lot of the research comes from old newspaper articles, um, not so much books or documentaries. But I would spend a lot of time going through the Variety archives, going through Hollywood Reporter archives finding Canon was very good about letting press come to their sets. So if you search local newspaper archives, whether it's the LA times or, you know, and they shot some movies in Pittsburgh in the early eighties and you go and you pull up the, the local newspaper and that that's when you get the most colorful the, the most colorful stories too, because the stars there aren't sitting there with a, you know, a, a handler next to them. They're just, Talking off the cuff and you know, something goes wrong on set in front of the journalist, it's gonna end up in the story. Okay. Yeah. So that th- those have been a lot of the research. Um and then just old vintage Canon materials. I've got stacks of press kits, probably about forty or fifty different Canon press kits, which you know, they all come with the photos and you know, a good twenty-five-page document about the production and bios and all that information, that's great. Old canon catalogs. Um, I've said this before, one of the most useful things to track a film's history is canon would announce a movie and so if it was just a title or a drawing, sometimes it would just be a a, a, a picture of, a, of one of the stars with a title and there wouldn't be a script or anything. But then... A year later, that same movie's in the catalog, except it's got a different star with the same title, or a same star with a different title, or you have ones that over the course of three, four, or five years in these catalogs, the the rosters change, the plots change. That's right. That's how you get the classic image of Chuck Norris in American Ninja, where his head's just pasted on to um, one of the stuntman's bodies. And that was when they just had a title, American Ninja. That movie ultimately became Invasion USA. But they, for a while, they were going to call it American Ninja. They thought they were, and it was going to star Chuck Norris, and it was going to be about him fighting terrorists in Louisiana. It didn't make <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't make a, a, a ton of sense there. But that's that's the best way. That it's it's a, digging through a lot of materials, a lot of old canon materials. But, Yeah, I've got just uh, like sitting here just Um, I'm trying to find a good example, but yeah, you have, they would send these things out to buyers.
2: I was just going to say, where do you find this stuff? I mean, were you a buyer in 83 or something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I was very lucky. A lot of them came from another collector. Um, Oh, okay. And I was able to, and then it's just been tracking, tracking different sites. Uh, A lot of this stuff, goes international. It's it's tough to find it in the US, but looking in, you know, German eBay, Spanish eBay and things like that, the stuff pops up. You must have invested quite a bit and you probably have the world's
2: greatest canon films collection.
1: It's gotta be up there. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta imagine maybe Yorms you got a got a nicer archive. Maybe. But, Okay. Yeah. I, I got a lot, I've got banker boxes stacked full of stuff here.
2: And, and I love that you post all that stuff on social media. That is, that is always a treat when you pull something out. Uh, you know, people should follow you on Twitter just for
1: that. You know, unearthing these gems, you. you know. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that doesn't – a lot of stuff that I just don't have room for in the books, and then a lot of things that I learn after, like, things I learn about the movies that are in the first book, all right, that the first book's out already, and it's nice to share that stuff, too. Yeah. So, yeah, social media is a great way. I love it just to keep the conversation going and keep sharing stuff. That's, that's, that's fun. It keeps,
2: keeps it alive, because, like, you know, people have this idea that, like, once something disappears, or once something's on the Internet, it's there forever, but that's not true at all, you know? This stuff has to be cycled through, uh, you know, fairly regularly for, for people to get a look at it. You you telling the, the uh, uh, talking about um, Chuck Norris's face on the American Ninja thing makes me think, think think of two things. One, it is odd that they had Chuck for all those years and they never made a ninja movie with him. <laughs> and and the other thing is, what, uh, is that the most egregious uh, jump from like the original planned movie to what it ended up being um, when it was produced, or are there other examples that are even more? Um, more of a stretch from, you know, the genesis of the idea to what ended up
1: being on screen. There, there are the, the one that's um, think 10 to midnight has a great, so you can track various drawings of it because it's one that that's after death Wish 2, Canon wanted to make another Bronson movie immediately. And they were going to overseas to sell it. And they didn't have anything other than the title 10 to midnight, which they liked. So they took a, just a drawing of Charles Bronson and a tagline that's like a, a deadline, a killer something along that and took it and they sold the movie. Then they came back and they had to make a script out of it. And what's in those original drawings does not reflect what the, what the movie finally was about. Um, there was no deadline in the movie. Even the movie itself, right. 10 to midnight, means nothing.
2: Nothing, yeah. They don't even, like, cut to a clock or anything. I just saw for the first time this week uh, in research for this interview, I had to go to my local library, one of the Ooh. last ones that still has cassette tapes, and I tracked down uh, 10 to midnight and Kingete. amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got him in the old... Two very
1: sleazy Bronson
2: movies. Incredibly sleazy movies. (laughs) (laughs) I got a whole bunch of Bronson questions but I got one more before that. This is good before because that's the real meat of Canon films I feel is is guys like uh, Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson. But Canon existed before Yoram and Menachem bought it right? Yes. And I don't know very much about what they were producing before the Go Go Boys. I just remember from Electric Boogaloo that basically three things: that Peter Boyle movie Joe, mm-hmm. the Happy Hooker series, and just straight up Swedish pornography. Was yes. there was there anything else in uh, that library, the pre Golden Globus canon library that you found?
1: there is a lot there it's they the canon before golden globus was very much your your grindhouse style stuff a lot of tna movies a lot of uh, like you said the swedish porn they they love to take foreign movies and redub them and release them they joe joe was their biggest their biggest hit and Great. the thing that they were really no known, known known for before that but Canon, actually, when, when Golden Globe is bought, bought it from, they wanted to they wanted to get, a US, they wanted to get a, an established U.S. company to sort of have their foothold into the market here, have a distribution sort of plan, but they had bought the old catalog. So a lot of these Canon catalogs that I have have an extra 100 movies in the back, and it's just all the things that they owned the rights to, and they could keep selling over and over again to finance the movies that they were making. But some of these are mon- um, uh, wonderful. I'm looking at it. There's this page here that's open, but we have like stuff like Naughty School Girls, Teenage Hitchhikers, uh, Teenage Tramp, um, How to Score with Girls. It's right. <laughs> that's, the, that's a lot of the type of stuff that canon, pre-Golden and Globus, was putting out.
2: How many of those pre-Golden and Globus movies did you watch? In, in the writing process for this? Were you tempted to include uh, a chapter on any of them? Just uh, like almost like a pref- preface,
1: preface? Yeah, well, before I knew what this book was going to look like and that I wanted to focus on the Golden Globus years, I had even written some chapters on some of these, some of the earlier ones. I, I did one on hot t-shirts <laughs> and one on gas pump girls, okay. both like late 70s. I got a to write some I can this. look them up. <laughs> I, I wrote entire chapters that are close to what's in the book about the making of those movies. And then, you know, I, I tore them out when I decided I as I, I need to boil this down and focus on only a hundred and some movies <laughs> right? <laughs> and not, not do the whole, whole gamut. But yes, I watched, I watched some of them, Joe, um, but yeah, at a certain point I had to, draw a certain starting point. And for me, the stuff I'm familiar with and stuff that actually you can still find these days right. is all the the stuff that came out during the video era, during Golden is reign. As someone who appreciates your, your writing, are
2: those um, abandoned chapters, do you have any plans to to put those online or in later you editions know, or I, anything? I'll
1: find somebody somewhere to post them at some point. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, yeah, once... I have, to, I have to go back, because those, those were some of the earliest ones I, earliest ones I wrote, so they're, they're, they're probably
2: pretty raw. <laughs> well, it's that's all right. In that pre, that early, in the early canon days, is there anything worthwhile at all, or is it all junk?
1: Joe, Joe is <laughs> actually a pretty, pretty memorable film. That's a, the story of that one is interesting because I kind of get into it in the Exterminator 2 chapter in the book because William Sachs, who was the second director to work on Exterminator 2, Cannon brought him, hired him to come in and shoot more scenes and fix it up and get it into a really supposed state. He was a very, well, like very sought-after uh, film fixer. That was a
2: beautiful chapter.
1: I really enjoyed that. That's a really good story. He was an awesome guy to talk to. He's somebody who deserves an entire book just about his career because he's fascinating and has worked on so many things that, you know, his name's not on. (laughs) Right. Right. But, yeah, so he took Joe originally and he recut it. And he went and added the original one. John Avildsen later did Rocky and Karate Kid. Hmm. Uh, finished it, he, it didn't really focus so much on Peter Boyle's character. He was more of a very side small character. And when William Sachs came in, he brought Joe to the forefront He made it. and It's Joe <laughs> and the movie's about him and the movie became a big success. And it was, it wouldn't have had he not gone in there and recut it for Canon. Okay.
2: That's interesting. So, So pass on the Happy Hooker goes to Hollywood or
1: whatever. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get into the Happy Hooker movies, I think the cheapest way to buy it is a full like three movie set. Oh, okay. Like one disc with all three movies on it. Um, I mean, you might as well if you're going to watch. (laughs) I had to watch all three of them to to write about the third one. Now we're going to get into the real
2: meat of canon films. Let's start with Charles Bronson. Uh, Charlie B, as I like to call him, mm-hmm. I like to. I hope that I can get that to, you know, get picked up on social media. I don't know why it cracks me up, but it does. So, <laughs> their canon's first with Golan and Globus. Their first proper hit was Death Wish Two, right? Yeah. Okay. That's correct. Okay,
1: so. It's their
2: first put them on the map. Okay, and. When I think of canon films, I definitely do think of what you said a little bit earlier when you said, um, you know, they, uh, trend chasing. And I wonder, I, I always sort of wondered about the genesis of the relationship between canon and uh, Charlie, because after Death Wish 2, they had such a long partnership with him. I wonder if they saw the success that Warner Brothers was having with Clint Eastwood, and if they thought... This can be Charlie can be our version of that, or do you think it was closer to, holy shit, we have a real hit with Death Wish two. Bronson's our meal ticket. We gotta hang on to this guy all the way through. Or do you think there was another reason that, you know, there was such a long-standing relationship between him and the company?
1: I I think it was a beneficial relationship for both of them. I think one of Cannon's things was there business was selling the movies abroad and charles bronson was a star here because of death wish but outside of that most most u.s audiences knew him as a character actor a, a side actor in westerns
2: oh okay and
1: yeah. he had a, he had a, he had a lot of films especially after death wish that played in the theaters but abroad he was a superstar he was somebody in in Italy and Spain and a lot of the European countries, you could put him on a billboard and people would flood to see it because he was, he was just huge overseas. In Japan, he would, he was a cologne spokesperson and foreign, uh, foreign um, other countries were just crazy. So a Charles Bronson movie, it would come out in the U S and it would do modest business, but they could always reliably, Get big sales and sell a lot of places for very little work, and that that was that was their that was their business plan. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah so I, I think that was know. the reason they kept going back to Charles Bronson. And I think I mean he they made the movies. They worked one, one he worked with them. He worked he was usually directors that he really liked yeah. guys he'd worked with before. He'd have a lot of say in casting. He could bring in actors and friends of his for, you know, play, to play villains or small parts. Yeah, So you see a lot of these right. old,
2: what's like, that? Like Jill Ireland too, his wife.
1: Yeah, yeah, Jill, Jill would, um, she produced a couple of them and she came in and she did Assassination and Death Wish 2 there. And yeah, he, so I think it was good for him. It kept him working. They were willing to keep making these, these movies and they made them mostly on his terms.
2: So I wonder why, because there were definitely accounts in in Talbot's books, and I believe also in yours that, and I've read about some stuff online too, that he was sort of grumpy and ornery on set. He wasn't always the happiest guy. (laughs) So if he's getting, like, paid like an A-lister, star of the show, you know, face on the poster, working with directors he's picking, got his family involved, what the heck? Why was he so unhappy all the time?
1: (laughs) Well, I, I don't... I don't know that it was unhappy so so much as maybe a little... He... I don't think he really saw himself as, as a movie star or at least got into the movie star personality. Oh. He came from a coal mining family in West Virginia, very blue collar. I think he saw making these movies as work. Oh. Okay. And wasn't as big into the extracurriculars that would often go with that. I know he was you hear so many stories about him just being driven nuts by paparazzi and just not liking that invasion of privacy. And he, it was also during, especially in the later canon years with him, not the happiest time in his life. His, his wife was very sick, had a yeah. very July Island, had a very public um, battle with cancer. And so him being a family man, he didn't like to do things that would take, I don't think he liked being away from his family. And so a lot of times it would be just get the movie done as fast as possible so I can be at home. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That is sad. So in
2: Volume 1, you write about these three Death Wish sequels, (laughs) 2, 3, and 4. Of course I have to ask, is Death Wish 5 going to be in a later uh, edition, or does that not technically count as canon?
1: No, it's it's canon adjacent right Uh, i i talk a little bit about it at the end of the death wish chapter in this book but that was made by 21st century film corporation which was Menachem's company after he had his falling out with yoram and and split from canon so he took a bunch of things with him and one of that was one of those things was a death wish um sequel rights so he ended up, he produced it. Malcolm Galan produced Death Wish 5, but it wasn't a canon canon feature. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask about 21st Century because I was going to say besides Death Wish, he took a couple other. I looked on their Wikipedia page, and I think uh, like some of the American Ninja
1: movies end up on that one. Yeah, the The, um, the last, uh, or uh, Captain America was is probably one of the most famous oh, oh, movies they put out. Yeah. With Because uh, Canon, for years and years and years, they were going to make Captain America and Spider-Man. And right. <laughs> those were the two Marvel properties they bought when Marvel was going bankrupt, and they never came through. But uh, I Menachem did eventually make a pretty wonderful, <laughs> wonderfully cheesy Captain America with Albert Pune in 1990.
2: Yeah, I want to say I saw that years ago. I, I, I don't remember it very well. I know there's some Captain America movies from the 70s, too, that are also delightfully cheesy. So, in preparation for having you uh, on, I, I sought out uh, not just Ten to Midnight, which I enjoyed, and Kinjite, but also Messenger of Death. What, um, so far, besides the Death Wish, movie, oh, Death Wish movies included, what of the Charlie Bronson movies have been the most fun for you to revisit and write about, and which ones, if there were any, were you a little like, maybe disappointed by, you know, if, if it had been a long time since you'd last seen it.
1: Well, if I, yeah, there's definitely tears I can break the brand, oh, the, okay. the eight Bronson canon movies into. Um, I, I mean, Ten to Midnight is, I love, I love. I, it's just an underrated, I feel like it works as almost like a slasher.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah, very underrated thriller. That's, that's one I'm not, I'm surprised it isn't like a universal 80s classic outside just known by everybody and beloved because it's i think it's really good he had to be stopped forget what's legal do what's right after
0: all the evidence is in he'll reach his own verdict and execute the sentence by the deadline when there is no justice this man is law 10 to midnight charles bronson
1: i I love death wish 4 (laughs) of all the death wish movies just because of john p ryan Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. The cannons. Cannons go to bad guy, and he's just so so wonderful and everything. But yeah, Death Wish four. He just makes it so much fun. He's working
0: to destroy the drug empire.
1: It's a
0: setup. It's either him or us. Now Bronson is their target. The trap is set. Here he comes. The fuse is lit. Bronson is unleashed. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 4, The Crackdown.
1: Assassination, I think is a really fun one. Um, It's definitely a lower tier, but he did it with Jill Ireland. Um, She plays the president's wife and he's her bodyguard and they kind of get stuck together. during this big assassination plot and i like that one because you can tell that he's having fun it was he he was making a movie with his wife and he could be they could be together and you've been reporting our whereabouts to the president
0: charles bronson
1: has it ever occurred to you the president might be the one who wants you dead jill ireland
0: cow
2: would never hurt me
0: bronson assassination
1: he just seems a little bit like he's having a better time if you can get a sense from somebody from a charles bronson performance where his, his trademark is looking like he's not having a good time yeah um murphy's law is a really fun one um that, that's is, um he gets he's a cop again but he gets handcuffed to a, a um, car thief who's very foul-mouthed. And that one's just worth saying. There's probably, there's gonna be a super cut on YouTube of just, they made up the, the most gibberish, wacky, like donkey fart. She, she just calls them names the whole time and oh, they're okay. just awful, crazy, weird stuff. Um, rather than just swearing, which yeah. I guess was what she was supposed to do in the original script. Ballistics identified your gun as the murder weapon. You're going to jail,
0: Jack. I heard they arrested a cop. What the hell are you doing? And she's his only way out. Someone framed me for three murders. Now they're both running for their lives. Charles Bronson is Jack Murphy. Gotten
1: out. Now he's getting even. Charles Bronson. Murphy's Law. I think after that, like they all sort of fall middle of the pack. The the ones I'm probably the least fan of. Death Wish Two, just because uh, how creepy Michael Winner is and the stuff oh. he added and sure. <laughs> the yeah. the the rape scene in that one is. Very, very graphic and uncomfortable. Oh yeah, yeah, it's
2: it's unpleasant.
1: I just I think there's a few points in that movie where it goes a little too far, but I'm so that's, that makes it out of all the death wishes, that's the one I'm like least likely to yeah. <laughs> drop in there, even though the soundtrack is incredible. Right, right. right. <laughs> Charles Bronson. Goodbye.
0: Death wish two. He's doing Did you
2: see, it's like a a film talk show or something where, it's a British show, where Michael Winner and a, uh, her name is, oh, is it Anna Rayburn? It's a uh, a film critic where they argue about the movie, and he, in the middle of the interview, asks her if she's ever been raped while laughing, and she says, yes, I have, you know, but that's not your business, and it, it is the most unbelievably awkward interview i've ever seen and it makes winner look like such a piece of shit
1: i don't see anything wrong today in showing what goes on in life it was not done but it uh, isn't like that in life i'm sorry well, you Mr. don't Winter, know and you never isn't. been raped have you ever asked me well uh, <laughs> have you been raped Yes, I have as a matter of technical interest. Is it of any relevance to your film? No. That is not how rape takes place. You're doing dealing well, with a reenactment. We dealt with many
2: police and psychiatrists, researchers on this picture. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah, I have. Oh, I, yeah. It's very uncomfortable. There's Mike, Michael Michael Winner is... Uh, <laughs> there's a behind-the-scenes photo of him on the Wicked Lady. Actually, he's got a big pair of scissors and he's cutting the woman's clothes off of her. Yeah and it's just i think that embodies michael winner that's the first image i see in my head when i think of him kind I, of a creep
2: I, I can't think of her name the she's in death wish 3 she's deanna troy on, on star trek uh, I, I think that's correct I, it's not coming I, it to me i, I, know. I yeah right <laughs> i know yeah. she's she's talked about how just nasty he was, you know, and I, I got his autobiography and I'm almost afraid to read it. Cause like, you know, I'm going to start ripping pages out or something. Cause...
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I've read, I've read it. And it's, I mean, he does yeah. have some good stories in there, but he's also, I, I think that it's one of these books where he just, he, he loves talking most about how famous he is and how many famous friends he has. So right. yeah, 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 that's, that, that's probably the, the, the roughest part of the book <laughs> Right element of that.
2: Yeah. Just the best type of person, you know, <laughs> Going back a little bit now, I'm so glad you brought up John P. Ryan. Uh, I used to do movie reviews on YouTube years ago, and I remember I talked about Death Wish 4 and 1, I talked about Delta Force 2, and both times I was just like, John P. Ryan is maybe the greatest character actor ever. He is so freaking funny. And I just saw Runaway Train earlier this year, too, and he's really good in that as well. Are Are there, besides those three, does he show up in other canon films that, that you can think of offhand?
1: Yeah, it's Death Wish 4, Avenging Force, Runaway Train. Gosh, I know I'm blanking on something.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, hope, I hope people look him up, because he is, he is always a treat when he shows up. So what did you think of, just because I watched it this week, and I'm wondering of what your opinion, because it is this is another sleazy one, what did you think of Kinjite? <laughs> or you not want to give it away, because that'll be in a later copy. You know, uh, That's one of my
1: favorite Bronson ones. It's, I, I, I'm amazed by how sleazy they were able to make that one. Yeah. And racist. Um, yes, yeah. That, too. That, too. It's very, very... Uh, he doesn't say very many nice things about Asians in that film. No. We have
2: a 14-year-old brought in last night, been in town 72 hours, gang-raped, abandoned...
0: A realm of secret appetites and hidden passions. she wasn't enjoying
1: it, why didn't she cry for help? Because of shame. A realm where nothing is taboo. It was Duke who put you out on the street.
0: He made you turn tricks. Duke was good to me. Charles Bronson. Everybody, on the floor. Now! Kinjite, forbidden subjects.
1: That's one that that it was rewritten very heavily. Um, in Paul Talbot's second book, he gets into the making of that one. And yeah, that and messenger of death, they it, he, talking about what the scripts originally looked like. And they they were very different from what ultimately made it to screen. Is that mostly because of the director, uh, J. Lee Thompson? Yeah. In the, in the case, there was a writer's a writer's guild strike. Um, uh, in the late eighties and the writers couldn't come in to revise or do revisions themselves. So the director largely no. the director and the producer would go and just do, do what they please. Oh, gee,
2: So Menachem was in there too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's the great stuff. Uh, I love talking about Charlie Bronson, but I, I don't have a good segue. Let's go from old to young, take a hard left turn and talk about Canon's uh, teen sex romp and how their most famous one isn't as sleazy as that sounds. So I dropped the ball. I didn't get a chance to watch uh, Last American Virgin um, recently, but I've heard, and you make it definitely make it sound like it's not your typical porkies. Teen sex romp. It's it, it's maybe closer to like Fast Times at richmond High than Porky's. A little like the story's yeah. a little better. The characters are a little better. Um, what do you think sets that apart from the rest of the sleaze in the mid eighties? Well,
1: it's it's a very heartfelt story in that one. The movie was based on Lemon Popsicle, the same director. Boaz Davidson had made it for Golden Globus in Israel before they came over to the United States. And it was a huge hit for them in so many countries, everywhere but the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he had based a lot of it on his own his own teenage years, his own experiences. And I think that I think that comes through. Um, it's got one of the most heartbreaking endings in a movie. I won't spoil anything, but let, let me know when you watch it and let me know if you're wiping away a, a tear at the end um <laughs> it's it's something that's great about it too is that the cast is actual teenagers a lot of these kids were 15 16 years old um the uh gosh Lawrence, Lawrence Mawson, mosson who plays the main character was too young to even get the get the job so he had to go get a fake id so he could be in the canon movie because he was only 15 And he was in an R rated movie. Okay. Um, so yeah, he he presented Canon with a fake ID, which is just incredible to think. Yeah. It's it's
2: it's a it's
1: a it's a fun movie. I mean, it does have a lot of your standard Porky style nudity. But there there is there is a really there's a lot of heart to the the actual story that's that's told there. Um, incredible soundtrack too. The Last American Virgin, featuring songs by Blondie, The Cars, Devo, shake
0: Journey, up. The Police, Aereo, Speedwagon, Tommy Two and more. Shake the Last American Virgin. See it or be it. Yeah. Shake it
1: up. The the Lemon uh, Popsicle movies. The original Israeli one had an all. It was all fifties. Elvis and Chuck Berry and stuff on the soundtrack. And that soundtrack became a big hit overseas. So when they came here, they wanted to do something different. They had set it in the 80s rather than the 50s. And they got, it was Devo, The Waitresses, The Cars, U2 and a very early uh, soundtrack appearance from U2. And it did very well. The soundtrack was really one of those very, very early New Wave to really capture the new wave soundtracks, so one of the the rare
2: moments where Canon was a little ahead of the curve. Yes, because yeah, soundtracks were huge in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Lemon Popsicle, the Israeli films, that was that was a pretty long running series, right? There's there's a whole bunch of
1: those. Did you watch any or all of them? I watched clips from a lot of the sequels. There there are lots there there are a lot of Lemon Popsicle movies but they were being made really in Israel while Canon was working in the US. They were being just produced as Golden Globus movies over there. The first one I watched, I've seen, and it's fun to watch it, especially when I was familiar first with The Last American Virgin, because some of the scenes are dead matches. Um, it's just amazing to see like different a- actors Saying almost the same lines, it's staged the same way. Um, even like some of the some of the actors in them look similar to each other. And yeah, it was it's 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 in- interesting. If you're a fan of Last American Virgin, haven't seen Lemon Popsicle, definitely check it out because it's 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 just like watching the same movie but an alternate, <laughs> like the foreign version you see foreign TV shows.
2: Yeah, I just
1: wondered like if
2: uh, if the later ones. Kept any level of quality, or if those, you know, like most sequels, kind of got worse and worse. I imagine those are very hard to find.
1: They, yeah, you, are you're, you're up they're easier to find. You can get import oh. discs um, to get them. They're more similar to to some movies that appear in the second. They'll be written that are written about in the second volume. Um, oh, yeah. There's a movie called Hot Resort and a movie called Hot Chili. Okay. And Hot Chili actually stars is one of the um, actors from Last American Virgin playing basically the same role and it's got some of the scenes that are like very similar very oh. much almost repeated from what's in Last American Virgin, Virgin and I think both of those movies are spiritually like the same as the other Lemon Popsicle movies except they just had different casts
2: oh okay so Lemon Popsicle was like a well that canon kind of went back to again and again
1: yeah they kept bringing the same actors back in each one um, well, last American virgin they actually expected it to be a franchise like oh. like they had, had with lemon popsicle yeah and they had signed the boys on not Diane Franklin who later was on Bill and Ted and yep. um, yeah but um she she was not signed on for sequels but the, the guys had in their contract for they could keep making these movies. So the expectation was that it would take off and be, it just, it didn't. There were so many teen movies and it kind of really came at the tail end of that kind of Porky's fast time and you were getting more into the John Hughes things, oh. which I think kind of shifted what, what teen movies were going to do very, very well at the box oh. office and kind of just shifted their focus. That's real interesting. Do you
2: think uh, *Last American Virgin* is sort of like a, a bridge between the the yeah *Porky's Fast Times* and, and the John Hughes teen movies?
1: Sort of like a middle it, ground. It, you could you could definitely make that argument. Oh, okay. so it's got the it's got the explicit nudity right. and you know the okay. the sexual hijinks, <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah it it is very it's a it's a pretty heartfelt honest i would say honest okay. teenage love story so yeah that no that's a good that's, that's a good description that's real interesting okay i'll have to check that out
2: I, i'm very curious to see that one because I, I do love a lot of johnny Hughes movies and uh i don't love porkies but the third one has a great ending if you've ever seen it <laughs> if
1: i could if i can make another book recommendation Please. that um yeah it's a book called teen movie hell and it's by Mike McPadden. And it's excellent. It's similar to it's it's a film it's a film guide, but it's just essays about teen sex comedies, really covering all of them. So many I didn't I haven't heard of, but it's one that I've had to use for reference when I have to go back and think, oh, like what happened in the last Revenge of the Nerds movie? Oh, God. rather than typing in the internet, I'll grab I'll grab T Movie Hell off the shelf and read a very thoughtful analysis of. The
2: that's movie. that is fantastic. That's that. Yeah, I I'm going to check that out. You know, I, I think maybe that I love books like that. I think that's why I am such a fan of yours because, you know, I've seen these movies, but you know, if I want to think of something or be reminded of something about it, you know, I don't necessarily have the two hours to put it on, and watch it from start to finish. That was Austin Trunick, author of The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, to 1980-1984. Volume 2 to be released sometime in Fall 2021. In Part 2, we're going to talk about some of the people Austin interviewed for this book. We're going to talk about Canon's Ninja trilogy. We're going to talk about Chuck Norris. We're going to talk a little bit about Sylvester Stallone. We're going to get some of Austin's recommendations on what his favorite canon films are and where are good places to start for someone who might be new to canon films. And we even get a little bit of a tease for Canon Film Guide Volume 2 with a great behind-the-scenes story that was totally news to me. Uh, So a lot of good stuff coming up in Part 2. If you enjoyed this part we just had, definitely come back for Part 2. That one might be even better. So uh, I, I just, again, have to say thank you to Austin for coming on the show. Like I said to him, I really appreciated that he took a chance on a show that is not about movies. Uh, it it, it was, meant a lot to me to have a great conversation with him, and he was a, a, a fantastic guest. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. So I'm really hoping he'll come back when he puts out Volume 2. And since Volume 2 isn't out yet, I will just say, in the meantime, get Volume 1. Look at this thing. It's like a phone book. There's so much great stuff in here. You could you, know, you could spend hours going through this again and again. I, I love this book. It's, it's one of my favorites, and I, and I can't wait for the other two uh, to arrive. So thank you, Austin, again for, for coming on the show. Very cool. You can find more information about that book at CanonFilmGuide.com. You can also find Austin on social media, at CanonFilmGuide on Twitter, CanonFilmGuide on Facebook, and at least right now, if you reach out to him on Twitter or social media uh, and you have a copy of the book, he'll do a book plate for you. Sign a book plate for you and, and send that out for free, which is a very cool thing to do. Hopefully he'll get to... Do a promotional tour uh, for Volume Two when that comes out. So after you find Austin on social media and you get his book, make sure you come and find me on social media. I am at Play That Podcast on Twitter, Play That Rock and Roll on Facebook. But if you search Play That Podcast all one word, you'll find us. And on YouTube, we are YouTube.com slash c slash Play That Rock and Roll note the n between rock and roll and subscribe to that please if uh you're listening to us on apple podcasts or really anywhere you can get podcasts if you can please just take a moment and give us a good rating and a review that is so important to a young show which this absolutely still is um Comments and ratings are are very helpful, and they're very appreciated on this end. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, please take a moment to do that. It it means a great deal to me, and I thank you for that. Okay, so all that's left to say. Thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, let's have Jimmy Page play us out with some of that great music from the Death Wish 2 soundtrack. Jimmy. Take it away.
0: The Pookie, where the winners show the losers, the Who's
1: That made me feel like a rock star right there. That was great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. Don't kill
0: the sense of them.